You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. And welcome to The Breakfast Show, live on the Voice of Islam radio from our studios in southwest London. We are live from the Battle for Two Mosque, which is the largest mosque in Western Europe. And this morning you are going to be joined by myself, Ali Khan, uh, Samar Ahmed, and Osman Manan. The date is the 6th of September 2022. It's a Tuesday morning. It's 7.14 a.m. And we have a packed show for you this morning. Following our customary look at the news and the weather, we are going to be talking about exploring the mysterious five-mile-wide deep-sea crater that's been discovered by scientists in the North Atlantic Ocean. And we'll be looking forward to welcoming um, some experts to help us discuss that story. We're looking to welcome Dr. Martin Connors, who's a professor of astronomy, maths and physics at the Athabasca University um, in Canada. Our second segment, we are going to be talking about our memory and our memory performance and boosting our memory performance. Is that even a possibility? We're looking forward to talking to Professor Tobias Bast, Professor Michael Thomas, and Dr. Natasha Segala. So, a great show uh, coming up, uh, God willing. And uh, before I start on the news and weather, I'd like to say good morning to my co-host, Mr. Usman Manan. Mr. Usman Manan, assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. How are you this morning? Wa alaikum salam. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Excellent, excellent, exactly. You, you sound bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, which is uh, which is good. First thing <laughs> on a Tuesday morning. Um. What's the weather? What was the weather like on your journey in? Because I mean, last night I heard thunderstorms, really heavy thunderstorms. I woken up this morning and 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 it looks like there was quite a storm last night. Uh, yeah, just before going to bed, I, I just I think the storm was starting, but mm. I didn't hear much at night, so I was sleeping well. And <laughs> in the morning, um, it wasn't too cold. It was it's, it's a nice weather, not bad. Excellent, and good to know that you're well rested. Then, so let, let's have a quick look at the weather because you know it was some very heavy, heavy thunderstorms last night. Looking at the weather today, today is going to be cloudy and wet in eastern Scotland. The rest of the UK will see another unsettled day. Sunny spells will develop for some, but heavy and thundery showers will move in from the south. Tonight, most of the cloud will be confined to the far north of England and Scotland, where heavy rain outbreaks are expected. Clear spells are elsewhere, but further showers edging into southern areas. The weather tomorrow is that rain will slowly clear out from Scotland during the morning, but cloud will build up again from the southwest in the afternoon, bringing further showers, some thundery and some heavy. And the outlook from Thursday to Saturday is that during Thursday and Friday, low pressure will start to move across the country, bringing variable cloud and scattered showers for many but drier conditions to northwestern areas. Eastern Scotland and northeastern England are likely to see plenty of cloud and prolonged heavy outbreaks of rain. Saturday looks to be drier for most, with just a few light showers in the afternoon. So I think we've, we've had a very long and hot and dry summer, and um, I'm guessing the farmers and the avid gardeners will be will be pleased to see that we have some rain. I mean, in fact, last week, last week on book, um, the breakfast show we were talking about drought conditions in the UK and hosepipe bans so I'm sure this rain is very very welcome and very blessed but back to usual in terms of the British weather and uh, advising all of our listeners out there to 
to carry an umbrella and, 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 and wear a raincoat because it looks like it's going to be an unsettled few days. Um, Usman, I wanted to ask you, just, just as, a, as someone that's you know, an everyday person, do you, you know, you, have you been following the kind of, uh, what's your opinion been on the, on the situation with the government? Just as a normal member of, normal member of the population, have you been aware of the fact that, you know, it's essentially over the summer, um, has there been this feeling that we've not really had a government in place, but we've had a leadership contest going on? Um, yeah, so as, as a normal citizen, as you would say, if I would. Uh, it depends. I think if you're interested in this, um, in the government, and you follow the news, then you feel that uh, there is always something going on. Even if the government is doing well or not so well, that you always mm. see some stories coming up. But as someone mm. who who doesn't have that much interest, or mm. I would say sometimes personally, I lose interest when it when it goes too much into politics. So I follow them. Let's say generally about yeah, what's mm. going on. The, the big news or like but I don't go too much into detail and don't follow it for too long so it's really interesting that you say that it's really interesting that you say that because you know um, I guess when you're putting petrol in at the fuel pump when you're seeing gas and electricity bills going up when you're seeing food prices going up either in the supermarket or even in you know in your local takeaway you're, you're seeing prices going up everywhere um, you, you might, for example, be seeing um, hospital uh, wasting, uh, waiting times and the NHS struggling. You know, all of these are kind of everyday manifestations of what the kind of government is responsible for. And you know, we're we're we're, we're going to you know we're going through a tough time now, where all of these things are starting to um, people starting to take notice and people asking themselves, what is the government doing about these things? Um, you know. And now, you know, the spotlight has been on the government this summer. But as I said, the government have been busy um, having a change of leadership. Um, the news this morning is that uh, Liz Truss was elected as Tory uh, party leader, which by default uh, makes her prime minister for the next two years. People will have various views on that. Uh, Rishi Sunak was uh, her um, adversary during the contest and... He unfortunately fell twenty thousand. Unfortunately for him, fell twenty one thousand votes short. Um, Liz Truss got just over eighty thousand votes, and then and Rishi got over sixty thousand votes, just over sixty thousand votes. So that means today we have a new prime minister. We will have a speech, a farewell speech from the outgoing prime minister Boris Johnson, and then Liz uh, Truss will be take, will be appointed by the Queen to the role. So. It's it's actually an ex- it's actually it's actually meant to be a very very exciting day. I don't know how excited you guys are in the studio um, about this, but certainly it's it's meant to be a very exciting day. Yes, most certainly, and it is something to look forward to, isn't it, Ali? I mean, uh, when when we look at uh, leadership, this is something which uh, Islam is very keen on, actually, isn't it? Islam teaches us a whole uh, a great deal, actually, when it comes to. Um, uh, leaders uh, being uh, responsible for for their flock. Uh, uh, there's actually a narration of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in which he said that uh, each one of us is actually a shepherd for for his own flock, and this can be 
um, in terms of uh, a a mother looking after the household and children, it can be a father looking after um, everyone on uh, monetary terms when it comes to that household. It can be a um, a, a leader. It can be a social worker. It can be uh, someone in government, a member of parliament, whoever it might be. These circles that we have within our own lives, uh, we 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 have to look after everyone which comes under that, isn't it? And that is, in essence, what the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was teaching us at that moment. And 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 again, in the Holy Quran, we see so many times in which Allah the Almighty has told us to look uh, um, to 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 obey uh, and to be obedient towards our leaders. Um, and again, the the narrations and the traditions in this regard uh, go on and on. There's so there's so many uh, that we can go through and and. I'm sure our regular listeners are are actually well aware of these as well, uh, because this is something which we often speak about uh, here on the Voice of Islam radio station, isn't it? It's interesting that you mention, you know, Islam there. I mean, you know, I was. We know 1400 years ago, um, following the advent, you know, of of, of Islam, um, we know that many of the democratic systems that we have today, that we benefit from today, were actually introduced in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, or his, um, the caliphs that followed him immediately. And it's interesting, I, I was thinking about this yesterday, that to me, I, I'm, you know, we, we, are, we obviously don't have any political views on this show in terms of which way, yeah. uh, which side we support. But certainly, you know, I can understand the frustration that people will feel that we essentially have a prime minister in post for the next two years. Not only has that prime minister not been elected by the people, mm-hmm. or even more bizarrely, she's a friend and a supporter of the prime minister that the people seemingly didn't want, yeah. and the members of parliament who've been elected to represent those people didn't want. And then what's making it, I think, more, what what's, has the potential to cause more lack of faith in the democracy of the British system um, is that this uh, uh, Liz Truss, um, you know, um, certainly hope that, you know, um, she gets all of the support that she needs mm-hmm. and, 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 and for the sake of the country that, that God, you know, God Almighty blesses the, <laughs> the UK for the next few years. Under <laughs> yeah. But an actual fact, you've got a leader who her own members of parliament didn't want. Rishi Sunak had overwhelming support amongst the parliamentary party. Um, I think Liz Truss had less than a third of the MPs voting for her, yeah. and then only half, less than half, less than half of the Conservative membership, which already is not representative of the UK's electorate. You know, there's an there's an argument to say that the demographic of the Conservative Party members is very very specific. Of the 180 odd thousand members, um, only 81,000 actually voted for her. Mm. So that means that less than half of the party membership and less of our and less than half of our elected officials actually voted for the prime minister that we have right now, yeah. let alone half the country. So it begs the question that is democracy um, currently being exercised fully in the UK? Mm. 
I mean, it, it's it's definitely something that we that uh, that we're we're actually very keen uh, on seeing um, on how this all plays out, isn't it? Because, like you mentioned, um, it, it, you cannot really say that it's uh, what the people have voted, um, especially going through the stats that you just mentioned as well. Um, and and but despite that, uh, now that she is in power, now that she uh, she is in leadership. Um, it's uh, for us as citizens of uh, of uh, Great Britain, of the UK. Um, it's it's our duty um, to to, um, to 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 obey to to be exactly, yeah. um, and it's her duty to 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 win our our trust as well, isn't it? So and I mean, it's, yeah, and, and govern as if she's governing for everybody. Yeah, yeah, most certainly, most certainly. Um, I mean, uh, with that, I mean, if sh- shall we go through the the newspaper headlines for the day? I mean, most of them are speaking about what we've just mentioned anyway. Liz Truss uh, straight to business uh, amid looming uh, crisis. Uh, what, what do you say, Ali? It's, it's, it's like what we just said. Um, you, you know, it's um, when I was I was watching a, a documentary last night about the time after World War Two mm-hmm. and the time that led up to World War Two, and you had essentially um, the world recovering from a significant event, like, for example, the pandemic. Yeah. You have extreme economic de- um, uh, deprivation on the uh, extremely poor forecast on the horizon. People are predicting a deep, deep, long recession. And, and in those circumstances, it's divisions um, in society can appear quite quickly and, and, and quite significantly. And when you have um, uh, a leader whose party may not be fully behind her and whose country may not be fully behind her, that also increases the risk of divisions. And exactly what you said right now, we need unity. Yeah. We need unity within the Conservative Party. We need unity from amongst the British public. But key to that unity and central to that unity is going to be people feel like she's governing them and representing them. And, and going to the headlines, like you're saying, the first issue that... She, um, the Prime Minister has to tackle is the energy bills crisis because you're mm-hmm. you're going from a situation where people's bills have already quadrupled. Yeah, you know the average household bill for gas and electricity has already quadrupled, and it may yet double over the next six months. And it's you know it's it's fine to say, um, you know, if petrol goes up, people feel it at the petrol pump. They'll their um, disposable income is affected. They won't, you know, they'll watch which journeys they make. They might change their spending elsewhere people can't stop heating their homes people can't stop powering their their devices and people can't stop um, cooking food yeah well they shouldn't have to Mm. but this is going to be the key her first challenge is how to tackle the energy crisis and i'm guessing you're looking at the headlines you're going to tell me that, that that's featuring quite heavily as as her first major task um, I, I actually haven't uh, really seen too much of this. I, I, I know most of the papers are speaking about uh, this, this similar topic. Like for instance, um, if we if we go to the the, the Times. Miss um, Truss is expected to freeze energy bills for for every household in one of her first acts in in the new job um, is what this uh, is speaking about, and I'm sure many of the others are also um, speaking about the same topic as well. Um, so we, we can quickly go through this for the benefit of our listeners. 
Mm, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that's the that's the uh, the Times uh, saying uh, straight to business um, uh, for for Liz Truss uh, after winning the Tory leadership contest to become uh, the UK's next Prime Minister. Um, if we go to Daily Mail, cometh the hour, cometh the woman, um, a quote unquote, is the headline in the Daily Mail, who says no Prime Minister since Margaret Thatcher has faced a tougher entry. Um, um, the paper says mistrust plans a shock and awe strategy on energy bills, tax and the NHS to stamp her mark on Britain. The Guardian also turns to mistrust's entry, saying her new government will begin a race against time to set out plans to deal with the cost of living emergency. The paper says she faces an uphill struggle to win over Tory MPs as she inherits a deeply divided party lagging behind in the polls with some mutinous backbenchers already said to be plotting her demise, quote-unquote. And I mean, this this alone um, is is enough to see what the current situation is uh, over there, isn't it, Ali? It is, and it's funny because, you know, when you look at the newspapers like this, you have... The, the right-wing press mm. uh, at the top, and we've got, you know, right down to the <laughs> Daily Express, we've got put faith in trusted deliver for Britain, all positive. Yeah. And then about halfway down the page, you get to the mirror, <laughs> which is basically professing itself to be the heart of Britain, and it basically says, for 12 years, Conservative PMs have wrecked the economy, trashed our public services, left millions worth, worse off, and now we've got another one, same old Tories. But just to... Just yeah. to introduce some balance to the <laughs> to, to the to the debate, um, the I talks about how Trust plans to freeze energy bills until January. The new Prime Minister is drawing up plans with her likely Chancellor Quasi uh, Kwarteng to lock household gas and electricity bills at the current um, two thousand pounds average until the end of January. The new energy lock is expected to be universal and to benefit all homes. I mean that's interesting because throughout her campaign, mm. she said that she would not um, uh, essentially give a handout to deal with the energy crisis and that the only way to do, the best way to deal with the energy crisis was going to be by dealing with a long-term supply of energy and 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 giving people tax cuts but she's actually seemed to u-turn on that and if that does happen it's great news for families who were going to be struggling mm-hmm. um, you know, at, at the at the breadline, the cost to the treasury of that policy would be forty billion pounds, oh. and would be paid for by borrowing, rather than a windfall tax on energy terms and energy firms. And this is the key difference between Labour and the Conservatives. This was actually Labour's policy. Mm-hmm. They announced over the summer that they, if they were in government, they would have frozen energy bills until January, but they said they would pay for it by putting a windfall tax on energy firms because of the tens of billions of pounds of extra profit that they're making at the moment. But the, the Liz Truss's approach is expected to be through um, paying for it via, um, via borrowing. Um, the Daily Telegraph reports that energy bills will be frozen until the next election, uh, and that Trust is to outline her vision for office with support for households lasting two years, it, 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 it says. There's another headline in, in the Telegraph saying that Trust is urged to make Penny Mordaunt, who was a strong candidate for the leadership earlier on in the race, a deputy uh, prime minister. The Sun reports that Liz puts her foot on the gas, new PM to freeze by energy bills. And finally, the Financial Times um, talks about Trust's £100 billion energy plans. There's a variety of 
there's a variety of headlines regarding it. They're all kind of focusing on the same issue. It's interesting, actually, yeah. that um, two really big figures in the Boris Johnson government, um, Nadine Doris and Priti Patel, have both last night also announced that they are going to leave the government. So maybe they've had indication that they're not going to be in the cabinet, or maybe they've decided that they don't want to be in the cabinet anymore. But that's another development. I think on the political side of things, those are the key. Those are the key headlines. Um, worth having a quick look at some headlines from around the world. Yeah, yeah. Let's go for it. I mean, um, I mean, from the headlines from from the newspapers, uh, we can see that this is this is the. Um, Top story over there, of course. Um, it, it is a, a huge deal here in uh, in the UK. Um, something uh, related to 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 the south of London here, Streatham Hill, uh, man shot dead by by armed police. Um, so there's an article here uh, from the mm-hmm. BBC News again. Uh, a man has been shot dead by police in South London. Officers uh, said they were pursuing a suspect vehicle at about nine fifty um, on Monday. Uh, PM and uh, and ended the chase by making tactical contact uh, in uh, Kirkstall Gardens, Streatham Hill. Um, the victim, believed to be in his twenties, was subsequently shot and died in hospital at about twelve fifteen uh, this morning at, on Tuesday. Um, efforts uh, are underway to contact his family. The Met said, and the police watchdog is investigating. Police cordons um, and road closures are in place. Um, I mean, it's 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 worrying to see um, such things uh, in the news, isn't it? And unfortunately, um, not not just speaking about uh, um, uh, armed police um, or or the, or the Met taking um, such actions, um, uh, 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 which which lead to let's say death or whatever, but the the root cause of the problem, which is actually these individuals going around, and, and there's other uh, um, articles about this in the in the BBC today as well, um, in which uh, in which there's so much gang violence, there's so much knife crime as well, um, and and in essence, this is why um, the Met had to do what they did, right? Yeah, yeah, it is, and and it's it's. There's been this has been a political issue, as well. With if, frankly, people just blaming each other. You know, it, we've got. I mean, London. You mentioned London in particular. London, we have a Labour mayor, and mm. it suits the Conservative government just to kind of kind of blame him for some of the issues. Mm. However, I think everyone was in agreement that the Met at its heart has had some fundamental issues that needed resolving. Yeah. It needed a change of leadership. We've had a change of leadership late recently, but again, um, Summer, you know, you know, we had the shootings in Liverpool as well, um, where unfortunately, um, you know, a nine-year-old child passed away. Mm. I think um, it's, you know, it's a worrying sign of a, of, of a society that's on edge a little bit, um, and that you know. The, you know, they're, they're, it's a sign. It's a, it's a sign of unrest amongst the population when crime starts to go up. And 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 also, you know, we've talked about the cost of living crisis and the energy crisis. Uh, you know, also that that's going to force some people into petty crime because mm-hmm. they they won't be able to afford to to eat. So, you know, these these are all things. But I mean, you know, talking about you know, kind of humanitarian kind of disasters and, and, and issues, just, just quickly before we wrap up the news. Yeah. I think it's just worth mentioning 
the latest from the Pakistan floods. Yeah, definitely. We saw the floods in Pakistan hitting the headlines over the weekend, unfortunately. And the latest is the officials are struggling to stop the biggest lake in Pakistan, the Manchur Lake, um, from bursting its banks, from overflowing. It's on the verge of bursting its banks and flooding surrounding areas. And the authorities are struggling to contain um, it after a last-ditch attempt to drain it failed. Water levels in the Manchur Lake in the southeastern Sindh province had risen to dangerously high levels after days of record monsoon rains. And the attempt to breach it displaced the attempts to breach it displaced up to 100,000 people from their homes. But on Monday, the province's minister for irrigation told Reuters the water level of the lake had not come down. Sindh province produces half of the country's food supply. Wow, I didn't know that. Sindh province produces half of Pakistan's food supply, oh. exacerbating fears that many will face serious food shortages in a country already struggling with the economic crisis. The floods in Pakistan have affected some 33 million people, killed at least 1,314, including 458 children, according to Pakistan's National Disaster Management Agency. And estimates suggest the floods have caused at least $10 billion worth of damage. Our thoughts and prayers are with the people of, of Pakistan. And, and, and we, there are several appeals um, being run by uh, major charities to, to support um, Pakistan um, floods. And, 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 and of course, um, as with uh, all um, such humanitarian disasters, we would, we would urge our listeners to to support this cause most most certainly most certainly and and something which uh, i think all of our regular listeners will be well aware of, but i'll mention it for for our new listeners as well um is that as muslims we're we're actually duty bound to two things isn't it the the first thing um is the rights that we owe to allah the almighty and this is coined in the uh, uh, um islamic terminology as hakukullah and the other duty that we have, which is on par with this, uh, with this first duty as well, are the rights that we owe to mankind. And this is coined in the Arabic terminology, uh, or the Islamic terminology rather, of hakuk al-ibad. Um, and, uh, and when, when we're talking about hakuk al-ibad, when we're talking about the rights that we owe to the, to the creation of God Almighty, this is actually not just speaking about mankind, but this is actually an umbrella term. Um, which is speaking about everything uh, which Allah the Almighty has created, and this goes for 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 uh, us as mankind, as humans. There's uh, animals, there's plants, there's vegetation, there's crops, there's the the environment, the uh, buildings, absolutely anything that we see, uh, anything and everything. Because in essence, it is Allah the Almighty who has, crea- who has created all of these things, and that's why it's our duty to look out for uh, all of these different categories of people or of things. And if we're seeing a humanitarian disaster, um, it doesn't matter if it's uh, within the country that we reside in, if it's, uh, if it's in a neighboring country or if it's, uh, if it's uh, someplace quite distant to where we are either. This is something which we definitely need to to look in, look into. This is something which we definitely need to assist with as well. Uh, if we are in a position to help, however it may be, it might be through monetary terms, it might be through giving clothes, um, it might be through giving food, it might be giving uh, through giving your own time as well. And if there's any way in which we can assist and help out, it is our duty. Um, uh, this is an Islamic junction as Muslims it, it definitely it is our duty 
to to help out wherever possible and so um just uh, just echoing what uh, ali was saying as well that uh, this is something which um if we are in a position to help out then we definitely should be as well um we're going to be taking a very short break now and once we do come back we're going to be speaking about our first topic for the day just a quick reminder for you we're speaking about Exploring the mysterious five-mile-wide deep-sea crater. Um, that is the discussion in the first hour. And in the in the second segment, we're going to be speaking um, about um, um, uh, a similar topic. As, uh, well, not a similar topic, but we're going to be speaking about uh, our memory um, and how boosting memory, um, uh, if this is a plausible reality, or not so let us know where your thoughts are on both of these topics remember the number for you as always is 0208 and of course you can hit us up on our socials on twitter and on instagram don't go anywhere and join us after the break You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. There is no excellence, the possibility of which is vouched for by reason, of which God Almighty is bereft like an unfortunate human being. The wisdom of no wise one can point to an excellence which is not to be found in God Almighty. The maximum of all excellences that a person can conceive of is found in him. He is perfect from every point of view in his being, his attributes and his good qualities and he is absolutely free from all defects. This is a truth which distinguishes a true religion from a false one. When a person experiences in the shape of beneficence those divine attributes which constitute his beauty, his faith is strengthened beyond measure and he is drawn towards God as iron is drawn towards a magnet. His love for God increases manyfold and his trust in God becomes very strong. Having experienced that all his good is in God, his hopes in God are strengthened he continues to incline towards God naturally, without pretense and affectation, and finds himself dependent upon God's help every moment, and believes firmly through the contemplation of divine attributes that he will be successful, because he has experienced in his own person many instances of God's grace, favour and generosity. Therefore, his supplications proceed from the fountain of power and certainty, and his resolve becomes extremely firm and unshakable. Blessed are the prisoners who supplicate and do not get tired, for they shall one day be released. Blessed are the blind ones who persevere in their prayers, for one day they shall see. Blessed are those who are in the graves and seek the help of God through supplication, for one day they shall be taken out of their graves. Blessed are you who do not get tired in your prayers, 
and your souls melt while you pray, and your eyes shed tears, and a fire is lit in your breasts, and you are driven into dark chambers and desolated jungles, seeking solitude, and you are rendered restless and mad and unconscious of self, for in the end you will become the recipients of grace. The God to whom we call is very benevolent, merciful, modest, true, faithful, and compassionate to those who are humble. You should also become faithful and supplicate with full sincerity and loyalty, so that he should have mercy on you. Withdraw from the tumult of the world, and do not make your faith a matter of personal contentions. Accept defeat for the sake of God, so that you might become heirs to great victories. God will show a miracle to those who pray and will bestow extraordinary favour upon those who beg. Prayer comes from God and returns to Him. Through prayer, God comes close to you as your life is close to you. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio station. Uh, just a quick time check for you. It is 48 minutes past seven on Tuesday, the 6th of September 2022. And we are now going to be going straight into our first topic for the day. Um, as I mentioned earlier as well, the topic for this uh, segment is ex- exploring the mysterious five-mile-wide deep sea crater. So beneath the North uh, Atlantic Ocean, scientists have discovered evidence of a five-mile-wide crater. The research team believes that the crater was caused around 66 million years ago due to the collision of a 400-meter-wide asteroid with Earth. This was uh, at the same time as the Chiswick uh, asteroid, uh, which annihilated um, uh, the the existence of dinosaurs. To prove their theory, scientists uh, will need to drill further and accumulate more samples. In uh, And in this segment, we will actually be exploring the origins and the importance of this thrilling discovery. So, I mean, um, just to to understand this uh, this further, um, uh, Osman, what is what exactly is the Nadir crater? Uh, if we could briefly describe its uh, emergence and uh, its importance as well, please. 
Yeah, so the Nadir Crater is an undersea feature on the Guinea Plateau in the Atlantic Ocean, 248 miles off the coast of Guinea. It is suggested to be an impact crater. The feature is named after the Nadir Sea Mount, located 100 kilometers to the south and is around 8.5 kilometers wide. The paper announcing the discovery of the feature was published in Science Advances in 2022. It has been proposed that the structure be drilled to confirm disprove the impact origin. In- intriguingly, the crater named Nadir after the nearby volcano Nadir Sea Mount is uh, is of the same age of the um Chicxulub impact caused by a huge asteroid at the end of the um Cretaceous period around 66 million years ago which wiped out the dinosaurs and many other species mm-hmm. Numerical uh, simulations of crater formation suggested a sea impact at the depth of around 800 meters um of a uh, more than four, 400 meter asteroid um uh, greater than it, it it would have produced a fireball with a radius of uh, more than uh, less than 5 kilometers um instant uh, vaporization of water and sediment near the seabed tsunami waves of uh, up to 1 kilometer high around the uh, crater and substantial amounts of greenhouse gases released from shallow buried uh, black shale deposits um i mean if we turn to the holy quran uh, chapter 2 verse 165 it states that verily in the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the alternation of night and day and in the ships which sail sea with uh, that which profits men and in the water which uh, allah sends down from the sky and quickens therewith and the earth uh, th- therewith the earth after its death and scatters therein all kinds of beasts and in the change of the winds and in the clouds pressed into service between the heaven and the earth are indeed signs for the people who understand and and in this regard uh, his in uh, his book uh, the fourth caliph of the ahmadiyya muslim community azim zahira and may allah have mercy on his soul um uh, titled revelation rationality uh, knowledge and truth um he writes that specific uh, example can be quoted in relation to the rapid extinction of dinosaurs this problem remained unresolved for uh, for a very long time scientists could not understand why dinosaurs disappeared at all while other much weaker species of life continued to evolve uninterrupted finally this mystery was resolved when they discovered that the impact from a fairly large asteroid hitting the ocean some 65 million years ago disrupted the entire life system of the planet particularly to the disadvantage of dinosaurs under the changed environmental conditions it became progressively harder for them to survive and until this knowledge was gained there was no satisfactory explanation as to why the era of dinosaurs came to such a swift end um We, uh, we, there, there was an article which we were going through to to actually understand this uh, this whole topic, wasn't there, Osman? If if, if you could quickly just uh, summarize this for for the benefit of our listeners, there, there are quite a few points there, but um, we will quickly just go through the gist of it for the benefit of our listeners. Yeah, so the article that I was referring to was 
Yeah, so when an asteroid slammed into what is now the Gulf of Mexico 66 million years ago, wiping out the dinosaurs, did it have a companion? Was Earth bombarded on the terrible day by more than one space rock? The discovery of what seems to be a second impact crater on the other side of the Atlantic of a similar age is raising these questions. It's not, it's not as big as the one we know at uh, um, Chicxulub in, in Mexico, but still it speaks to a catastrophic event. Dubbed Nadir Crater, the new, feature sits, uh, the, the new feature sits more than 300 meters below the seabed, some 400 kilometers off the coast of Guinea, West Africa. With a diameter of 8.5 kilometers, it's likely the, astro uh, the asteroid that created it was a little under half a kilometer across. The, the, asteroid, the asteroid that uh, created the Ch um, Chisulub crater in the Gulf of Mexico is estimated to have been about 12 kilometers across. It gorged out a 200 kilometer wide depression uh, and in the process set of mighty earth tremors, tsunamis and a global firestorm. So much dusty material was thrown into the sky that Earth was plunged into a deep freeze. The dinosaurs couldn't ride out the climate shock. Hmm. And if we, I mean, if if we turn to the Holy Quran, chapter thirty-one, uh, thirty-one, sorry, verse eleven, um, it further sheds light uh, onto the creation of species, uh, which of course includes dinosaurs as well. And in the following words. Um, he has created the heavens without any pillars that you can see. And he has created in the earth firm mountains that it may not quake with you. And he has scattered therein all kinds of creatures. And we have sent down water from the clouds and caused to grow therein every noble species. So, of course, this uh, sheds light uh, on the fact that uh, it is, in, in fact, Allah the Almighty who has created uh, absolutely everything. This is what we were speaking about earlier as well uh, uh, when it comes to the term of Hukuk al-Ibad, the rights that we owe to mankind, the rights that we owe to God's creation. And over here, God is also uh, speaking about the, the sustenance that he has given as well, that he has uh, sent down water from the clouds so that uh, he can grow um, every noble species as well, um, and also if we turn to the Holy Quran uh, to, uh, to 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 twenty uh, uh, chapter twenty nine verse twenty one, it professes say, travel in the earth and see how he originated the creation. Then will Allah provide the latter creation? Surely, Allah has power over all things. So, of course, over here, Allah the Almighty is uh, instructing us as Muslims that we should travel in the earth. We should see um, everything, uh, well, whatever there is to, for us to see in different parts of the world, in different parts of God's creation, um, and see how all of these things uh, are originated by him. Um, and then uh, Allah the Almighty will provide latter creation as well. And Allah the Almighty states over here that he has, of course, power over all things as well so if of course it's uh 
it's uh, it's whenever we do travel whenever we do go to see uh, uh, different parts of the country or different parts of other countries then uh, then of course our eyes are always opened to to the fascinating ways in which different people do things um there's a scenery there's uh, there's there's so many different things uh, which we can actually learn from and that is why this injunction uh, of the holy quran uh, is in place as well that we should go about uh, traveling and seeing how different people do things and we can learn from that as well in another occasion of the holy quran allah the almighty has stated that we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes, so that we may recognize one another. Um, the, the word which is used over there as well. And, and, and this is also for us to not just um, recognize each other, but actually to, to learn from each, uh, each other as well. Um, and this is, of course, in, uh, in light of what we're talking about here today as well. Um, we're going to be, we're, we're just coming up to the 8 o'clock news now. Um, we're going to be, once we do come back, we'll be speaking about how the uh, Nadir uh, crater was discovered, um, what are some of its integral features as well. And we'll also be speaking about why the discovery of this asteroid uh, impact a crater is so exciting as well, what it means uh, for us, um, and 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 of course, we'll be speaking to our esteemed guest um, uh, in in regards to this topic as well. We're going to be speaking to uh, Dr. Martin Connors, uh, who uh, Ali Khan in the beginning of the show was also um, introducing at that uh, time as well. So so yes, uh, a very interesting uh, hour um, lined up for us. Um, and of course, we're going to be spe- going into our second topic for the day as well, which is in regards to um, um, bettering our memory as well. If this is something which is a possibility and if it is, how is it uh, achievable as well? So uh, don't go anywhere and join us after the news as well, where we will be discovering uh, discussing um this uh, this memory boost and of course going into further detail um about this current topic as well um so like i said here is the eight o'clock news you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh may the peace and blessings of allah be upon you all welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Um, and we are continuing on with our previous topic as well. Uh, and we're going to be getting into how the Nadir crater was discovered. What are some of its integral features as well? So, Osman, if you'd like to um, shed some light on this uh, for the benefit of our listeners, on, on how the Nadir crater was actually discovered, uh, and we'll be going through this uh, before going to our esteemed guest for the topic as well for the segment. Yeah, so a professor at uh, Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh happened on the crater by accident. He was reviewing um, seismic survey data for another project on the tectonic split between South America and Africa and found evidence of the crater beneath 400 meters of seabed sediment. While interpreting the data, I came across this very unusual crater-like feature, unlike anything I had ever seen before, he said. It, it had all the characteristics of an impact crater. 
To be absolutely certain the crater was caused by an asteroid-like strike, he said, that it would be necessary to drill into the crater and test minerals height of the central uplift. To test minerals from the crater floor, but it has all the hallmarks scientific, uh, scientists would expect. The right, the right ratio of crater width to depth, the height of the rims, and the height of the central uplift. A mound in the center created by rock and sediment forced up by the shock pressure. The discovery of a terrestrial impact crater is always significant because they are very rare in the geological record. Uh, there are very there are very fewer than 200 confirmed impact structures on Earth, and quite a few likely candidates that haven't yet been unequivocally confirmed," said Mark Boslow, a research professor in Earth and Planetary Sciences at the University of New Mexico. He was not involved in this research, but agreed that it was probably caused by an asteroid. Boslow said the most significant aspect of this discovery is that it was an example of a submarine impact crater, for which there are only a few known examples. The opportunity to study an underwater impact crater of this size would help us understand the process of ocean impacts, which are the most common but, at le but least well-preserved or understood. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, and we'll be actually speaking about uh, why this uh, discovery uh, of this asteroid impact crater is so exciting uh, in just a short while as well. But before we do so, we do have with us on the line our first guest for the show, Dr. Martin Connors, uh, who is a professor of astronomy, mathematics and physics um, at uh, Athabasca University, which is a distance education university, Canada's equivalent of the UK's Open University. Um, in the 1990s, he was was involved in research of the Shisulub uh, crater in Mexico, which is related to the extinction of the dinosaurs, which we mentioned earlier as well. His work there was mainly on ground fracturing um, the, that uh, developed much uh, later, but outlines the CA 180-kilometer diameter crater. He uh, later found the orbital properties of Earth's first Trojan companion asteroid um, and others uh, partly controlled by Earth's gravity. A recent discovery in asteroidal, uh, astro uh, asteroidal science is uh, one that remarkably can go in orbit backwards and frequently go near Jupiter, but still be stable. Most of Connor's recent uh, work has been on uh, auroras um, and their magnetic fields from the dark skies of uh, northern Alberta province, Canada. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning um, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, and uh, thank you for being with us. Um, we're, we're speaking uh, about, uh, obviously, exploring the mysterious five-mile-wide deep-sea crater in this segment. Um, and, and the first thing that we wanted to understand from you was if you can let, let us uh, tell us a little bit about your research um, on the crater in Mexico um, from, 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 from the 1990s. Yes, well, of course, the Chicxulub crater was traced down through some detective work as being likely associated with the extinction of the dinosaurs. That work was done largely by Alan Hildebrand, who was with the Geological Survey of Canada at that time, now at the University of Calgary, quite near me. Uh, so by tracing down the depth of the debris 
uh, he could pinpoint that it must have been in Mexico. And then a few other clues showed that there was indeed a crater there. Uh, one of those clues was that uh, I actually got many topographic maps from Mexico and could see where all these uh, so-called cenotes or sinkholes filled with water were located and they outlined the rim of the crater. After that, uh, we went to Mexico and drove around little Volkswagens mm -hmm. uh, carrying sensitive gravity instruments and we could see uh, that there was a gravity uh, signature also of this crater. But when you're there, you can't see it at all. It's a perfectly flat landscape mm -hmm. and uh, the crater is under hundreds of meters of limestone. Uh, so it's uh, these very subtle clues of the sinkholes and the gravity that you have to look at to see that this monumental event in Earth history has a scar left. Uh -huh. Very interesting. So, Dr. Martin, uh, what does the existence of the craters tell us about the extinction of dinosaurs? Well, uh, clearly uh, this uh, crater being 180 kilometers in diameter, that's what we could establish with the sinkholes and the gravity, that's quite a large crater. So an object of uh, 10 or possibly more kilometers in diameter is needed to create such a large crater, and that involves excavating a huge amount of terrestrial material, much of it goes into the atmosphere, and would have caused extreme climate perturbations and probably chemical perturbations and extreme stress on life to the point that uh, the dinosaurs, to some degree, uh, there's a little exception to that that I'll probably talk about in a minute, went extinct. And so this was a, uh, an era, the end of the era, the, the Mesozoic era of dinosaurs and reptiles, and the beginning of the Cenozoic era, uh, that is the age of mammals. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting. Um, and uh, I mean, I mean uh, a bit of a personal question, but maybe to 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 uh, to, uh, to to spark this interest um, in our listeners as well. Can you tell us um, uh, our and our listeners how your interest uh, developed in craters? Uh, well, I do live in Canada and uh, have for basically all of my life, mm -hmm. and so. Um, I was a member, we, you in the UK have the Royal Astronomical Society, yeah. we have the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, mm -hmm. uh, which has many young people and amateur astronomers, and they do have a journal that detailed many of the craters that are found in Canada, okay. because Canada is an exceptionally good place for seeing craters, because it's a very large country, and we have a lot of ancient rock. And so there are many craters in Canada. So as I grew up, I read about them in this journal. And so it was interesting to think that as an amateur astronomer, I was looking at craters on the moon, mm -hmm. but there might be some also right here in Canada. Yeah. And uh, when I had a first summer job in university, I actually worked in central Canada near a crater. Oh, okay. And so I could actually go swimming in it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. A very, very deep, round lake. Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and and I'm sure very very useful for for our Canadian listeners um, as well. Um, Dr. Connors, um, what is the significance of uh, this the, the discovery of of the Nadir crater? 
Well, uh, as was previously mentioned as I was listening in, um, it is an undersea crater, and those are rare. Um, but uh, it, it is also interesting that the dating, and one has to stress that the dating is a little bit uncertain at the moment, mm-hmm. but it's close in time, and close might mean within millions of years, to uh, the Chicxulub event. And so it, maybe it was one minute later, maybe it was a million years, but there is the possibility that this was a binary object that came in. We now know that many asteroids are binary, and uh, possibly two came in at the same time. There is, for example, one of the craters I was mentioning in Canada. One of our most interesting craters is clearly double, and they're almost exactly the same size, and they overlap. Mm -hmm. So there clearly was a double asteroid came in. So it's possible that uh, this was a double asteroid, or even if it wasn't quite double, it's possible there was a period when uh, an asteroid collision took place in the asteroid belt, and then the material came to us, so that there was an uptick in how many craters there were. Uh, So, you know, it gives us uh, interesting possibilities, although at this stage nothing too much is nailed down. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. Connors. I have another question. So what are the orbital properties of the Earth's first Trojan asteroid? And what was the significance of this discovery? Well, um, many of these things tie together. Obviously, we're concerned about asteroids coming towards the Earth and hitting us. One of the peculiarities of the Trojan asteroids, and there are many of them that are associated with Jupiter, only two known with Earth, um, but they share the orbit of the planet, but they cannot hit it. So they're under a very strange sort of control by the gravity of the planet that uh, makes them go around staying always fairly far from the planet. And for that reason, it was kind of hard to discover. Um, its significance may be that if we could go there with a the spacecraft, maybe it's been there for the entire life of the Earth. And Earth is a little bit challenging to study because uh, it resurfaces itself. So we don't actually have known original material of Earth. But if there's an asteroid that actually has been in Earth's vicinity since the beginning, uh, it could have the original material that Earth was made of. So that's a speculation, but it Mm -hmm. would be an interesting property of such an asteroid. Yeah, no, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and and lastly, there, Doctor Connors, what, what advice would you give young people uh, aspiring for a, maybe a career in uh, astronomy? Well, certainly, one would have to tell them to persevere if they have the interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, astronomy research is done by people who have a postdoctoral or PhD degree doctoral degree and that takes many years to get to Mm. so you have to persevere so taking maths and science and uh, just working hard at it for quite a long time is needed but that may sound a little discouraging I would like to point out that it's possible to be quite an advanced level amateur astronomer so the telescopes that one can buy these days allow one to do whatever one wants in terms of original research obviously it's not the equivalent of a large professional telescope, but there are many things one can do. So a lot of hard work, uh, take the hard courses, and uh, work hard if that's the uh, goal.
Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, uh, as, as similar with anything in life, you, w- w- whenever there's anything we want to achieve, uh, we will have to persevere. We will have to to to, to really um, give it all we have, isn't it? That's right. So, I mean, certainly you get paid back in terms of interesting things to look at and understand the universe, but there is a cost (laughs) of uh, your own investment of time and effort. Of course, of course. Um, Thank you, uh, Dr. Martin Connors, for for being with us, answering our questions um, uh, into this very interesting topic. Um, And we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Bye now. Bye bye. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. That was Dr. Martin Connors, uh, who is a professor of astronomy, mathematics and physics um, at Athabasca University, which uh, is a distance education university. Um, In the 1990s, he was involved in research on the Shisulub crater in Mexico, which is uh, related to the extinction of dinosaurs, of course. And his work was mainly on ground fracturing uh, that uh, developed much later but outlines the CA 180 kilometer diameter crater. Um, he also later found the orbital properties of Earth's first Trojan co- companion asteroid um, and others uh, partly controlled by Earth's gravity as well. Um, just uh, before summing up this uh, and moving on to the next uh, topic, um, why is this discovery of uh, of this asteroid impact crater so exciting? So it's not just uh, on the surface, like all the other uh, discovered craters, it is actually in the sea. And this is something which we mentioned earlier as well. Um, and our our guest just mentioned uh, uh, as well as, uh, in our discussion. Um, impact crater around the same age as one left by dinosaur killer has also been found as well. Dubbed uh, Nadir Crater, a new feature discovered off coast of Guinea in West Africa, the site almost uh, the site sits almost a thousand feet below the seabed, and has a diameter of 5.2 miles. Uh, experts think asteroid uh, that wiped out the dinosaurs may have had a companion as well. This is something which uh, Dr. Connors just uh, uh, shed some light on as well. Um, and if we go to the Holy Quran, um, of course, this is a guidance for, for research as well. And God is the creator of the universe and he revealed the Holy Quran for the entire mankind so that they can read it and acquire knowledge as well. The Holy Quran contains countless pearls of wisdom for those who want to quench their thirst with knowledge. Um, As God Almighty says in chapter 2 verse 3 of the Holy Quran that this is a perfect book. There is no doubt in it and it is a guidance for the righteous. Um, and of course, there's many uh, verses and narrations and traditions when it comes to the pursuit of knowledge. And this is something which we'll be just c- t- uh, coming to in our uh, second segment as well. Um, at the 2019 uh, AMRA conference, which is the Ahmadiyya Muslim Research Association, His Holiness, the current head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza um, Masoor Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, he advised all Ahmadi research, uh, researchers who or, or academics even, to continually keep in view the oneness of God Almighty before, during, and after conducting any research or study. When they research in this way and seek the help of Allah the Almighty at each step, no doubt He will assist them at every juncture 
and be their guiding light as well. Um, before moving on to the second uh, uh, segment, we are going to be just listening to an audio clip from that same conference, from that same meeting uh, in which Hazur was addressing the Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, Research Association uh, in 2019. Consequently, having gathered here and held this conference, you must all consider it your mission to pursue excellence within your chosen fields. You must have, uh, you must leave here with a firm determination in your hearts to follow in the footsteps of Dr. Abdul Salam and those outstanding Muslim scholars and researchers who left behind a rich legacy of knowledge many centuries ago. You must reflect upon how you can develop a greater understanding of the world and develop new technologies or systems through which humanity can benefit. As scientists and researchers, it is up to you to exercise your minds and talents to seek out the ways and methods to accomplish great feats of learning. You should stay in contact with one another and particularly with those who are working in similar areas of research and learn from each other. Through mutual discussion and coordination, you may be able to achieve better results. Work with diligence, passion and above all, constantly seek the help of Allah the Almighty at every step of your academic journey and keep His Majesty at the forefront of your minds. With these words, I pray that may Allah the Almighty enable you to flourish and to achieve great success in your fields of expertise. And may we soon come to witness the dawn of a new Islamic golden age of intellectual progress and advancement led by Ahmadi Muslims across the world. Amen. That was His Holiness um, giving uh, an address, a, 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 a small fraction of it, a small portion of it um, from the, back in 2019 when he was addressing the Ahmadiyya Muslim Research Association. Um, we're going to be going to our next uh, topic for the day, our second segment. Um, um, as we usually do, we, we, we speak about two different topics uh, throughout the course of the show. And of course, but, but, we, but we begin with... Uh, the uh, the news and the, the the weather and the headlines of the day as well. Um, this topic is, uh, of course, uh, boosting memory performance. Is this a plausible reality? Um, we would like for you to get involved as well. So if you do have a, a, an opinion in this regard, then do give us a call. Pick up the phone um, and uh, and call us. The number for you, as always, is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. And of course, you can um, uh, tweet to us and leave your comments on our Instagram page as well at Voice of Islam UK. Um, so, 
if you uh, can't remember where you last kept your keys, you've forgotten your shopping list. Um, th- 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 these are uh, generally things which uh, which happen to us on, a, on on occasions as well. So the question over here is: Is there a way to boost your memory? Well, a recent study shows that an individual's memory can be boosted for at least a month through a harmless process of electrically stimulating various parts of the brain. In this segment, we will be delving deeper into this topic, exploring the enigmatic realm of the brain and investigating uh, whether enhancing memory could pave the way for a revolutionary reality. Um I mean, what exactly do the findings of uh, the study highlight and how does the brain uh, stimulation work, uh, Usman? If you can let our listeners uh, know a little bit in, in this regard, please. Yeah, so the brain stimulates stimulation involved people wearing a cap filled with electrodes, brain waves in the targeted regions of the brain where then altered using a controlled electrical current. So the volunteers experienced the brain stimulation for 20 minutes, four days in a row. Then they were given a list of words to memorize and then were recalled a month later and asked about these words. So the effect of uh, the effect, the results of the study would have on an individual's day-to-day life remains unclear as of yet. It is, th- it is thought that it could help treat uh, disease, aid exam preparation and help old people cope with memory decline. The results showed that the most improvement was made by those who struggled the most at the beginning of the experiment. So in the Holy Quran, in chapter 39 verse 10, Allah the Almighty states that say, are those who know equal to those who know not? This verse clearly highlights the elevated status of education and those who gain knowledge in the eyes of Allah the Almighty. Uh, Islam advocates and emphasizes the importance of the acquisition of knowledge. Uh, Similarly, the Holy Prophet, may um, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is recorded to have said that the word of wisdom is the lost property of a Muslim so that whenever he finds it, he should take it as he is most entitled to it. On another occasion, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Seek knowledge, though it may be found in a country as far away as China. So all these things are, uh, especially in Islam, as the Holy Prophet is, is telling us that how important knowledge and um, gaining knowledge is, how important it is to boost your memory. And uh, we will see... Um, soon as well how how effective this it can be to boost your memory and as the as the question raised earlier will can this be a life-changing event can memory be something which can change your life or is it something just um 
people want to improve in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is a very interesting topic. And, and to get some further uh, insight into this, we are going to be going to our first guest for this segment, Professor Tobias Bast, um, who has uh, completed his studies of biochemistry and uh, biopsychology in Germany at the Ruhr University uh, Bochum in uh, 1999, after which he completed his PhD in behavioral uh, neuroscience at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, Zurich, in 2002. Um, Following a research post at the University of Edinburgh, he took up a lectureship at the University of Nottingham in the School of Psychology, where he is now Associate Professor. His research examines how the brain uh, mediates behavior and cognitive functions, including memory and attention, and how brain dysfunction contributes to cognitive impairment. Assalamu peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Good morning and thank you for for being with us. Um, We're speaking um, about uh, memory, how we could boost our memory if this is a plausible, uh, something which is plausible, something which is possible uh, in the future as well. Um, And the first question that we wanted to ask you was how do the brain circuits carry out essential cognitive functions? So yeah, um, so for for any any given cognitive function, it's important that that many different specialized brain regions interact uh, appropriately to bring about this specific cognitive function. And uh, let me let me give you an example: so-called episodic memory, so memory of personal experiences, what happened, where, and when. So, for example, you remember a nice meal you had with a friend mm-hmm. in a restaurant recently. Um, and that memory involves uh, or requires specialized sensory brain regions uh, to process the various sensory aspects of this experience, visual information, auditory information about your conversation that you're having, uh, taste information about the food. And then a specialized memory region needs to integrate, bring together this information into a memory representation. And finally, if you want to recall this experience and perhaps get back to the restaurant, the memory brain region needs to interact with other brain regions to direct attention to the experience and trigger motor programs um, to get back to the restaurant. So the, the appropriate interaction that needs to be appropriately tuned is important for cognitive function, and uh, that, that's potentially also an, um, an avenue to, to improve cognitive function by tuning these interactions by by giving the right uh, stimuli to the brain mm-hmm. and what happens if there's some sort of uh, malfunction in the neural circuits so um, there, there, there are two main ways in, in which brain regions can malfunction uh, they can either show too little activity for example due to, to a lesion damage to the brain or they can show too much activity uh, when, when, when neurons are too excitable, uh, too trigger-happy, um, or inhibitory neurons um, are damaged and, and don't keep things under control. And um, a relatively common cause for, uh, for brain lesions is, is a stroke. Uh, many people will know people um, who have suffered a stroke. And depending on the brain region damage, this can result in perceptual, motor, attention, or memory impairments. Uh, on the other hand, the extreme example of too much brain ex- activity is epilepsy, uh, which mm-hmm. is characterized by brain seizures and convulsions. 
Um, but more subtly increased brain activity has also been found in other disorders such as schizophrenia and Alzheimer's and may contribute to cognitive impairments, memory and attentional problems in these disorders with neurons um, responding out of context leading to memory errors or uh, distraction and attentional problems. So really balanced levels of brain activity are really important and um, that may again offer an an avenue to to improve cognitive function by restoring that balance uh, but but it is obviously tricky uh, balance is always difficult to achieve yeah no no most certainly most certainly um uh, when it comes to the role of uh, the hippocampus um uh, what role does that play in developing memory and cognition so the the hippocampus is um, is a kind of uh, sausage shaped brain region uh, in in a so-called temporal lobe of the brain, which which underlies our the, the temples of our skull in on both sides of the brain, and and this brain region is is uh, particular in that it gets all types of sensory input, visual, auditory, olfactory, uh, and etc. Um, and it is thought to combine these types of sensory inputs into um, unified representations of a memory. Um, experience, for for example, uh, experiences of um, of particular events, what happened, where it happened, and and of places. And in addition, then this brain region, the hippocampus, is linked to to other behavioral control sites, including attention centers and motor regions, uh, which enables uh, translation of of memory into appropriate uh, behavior. Mm-hmm. And uh, does that also affect um, uh, me- behavioral mechanisms such as fear and pain? The uh, hippocampus has links to these processes. Um, so the, this brain region gets information about painful stimuli. So if you get uh, knocked on your head, uh, that information mm. will also arrive in, in, in this brain region. Um, and it can link these uh, painful stimuli to specific experiences or places. So remember, you have been knocked on the head mm. in a particular place of town, uh, which then results uh, in fear of, of this particular place in town, which mm-hmm. is adaptive. Yeah. Um, however, in some conditions, chronic pain conditions, um, it is possible that maybe the hippocampus gets constantly bombarded with these pain inputs, uh, which may lead to an impairment uh, to damage of this region and thereby an impairment in in hippocampal memory functions which could contribute uh, to to cognitive and memory impairments that that uh, people with chronic pain conditions complain about mm-hmm. um I mean, it's some very interesting things that we're seeing over here, isn't it, from from the research which is uh, done over here. Um, another question that we wanted to ask you, Professor Blockbuster, was what experimental approaches can be used to study cognitive functions uh, such as memory, and how does this, uh, how does the brain carry out these functions as well? So, um, yeah, you can imagine that's uh, quite a difficult undertaking, but uh, the progress that has been made with respect. Um, has really resulted from uh, combining uh, neurobiological or neuroscientific mechanisms to uh, um, methods to to um, manipulate the brain and to record from the brain to record activity of the brain 
with uh, suitable uh, behavioral tests of specific cognitive functions, memory and attention. And um, a lot of this research has been done in, in animal models, in experimental animal models, uh, such as rats or mice, um, because for, for ethical reasons, as you can imagine, it's, it's difficult to manipulate specific brain regions in people. And in, in animal models, you can do this, you can manipulate a certain brain region and then see how this affects uh, a particular um, cognitive function. And uh, 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 one approach that has been particularly important, or which in my opinion holds particular promise, uh, are so-called uh, cross-species cross translational methods that can be similarly used in people and in rats, specific tests um, that, that test the same uh, cognitive function in, in people and, and, and rats with, without um, the requirement of verbal information. And one example would be um, maze tasks where animals have to search to find goal locations, for example, to achieve food. And you can run similar tests in, in people using a virtual environment. And um, when you use these tests in, in patients with schizophrenia or Alzheimer's, you find specific impairments. And then you can study in the animal model um, which brain mechanisms underlie this impairment and um, how you might um, might treated, for example. So you can also run experimental treatment studies. So it's a, it's a, a variety of approaches that, that need to come together to to study these mechanisms. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, do you, do you think uh, this is something which uh, obviously the research uh, that's been conducted over here um, in regards to boosting memory performance, if this is a plausible reality or not? Um, do you think this is something which a lot of people will be getting into? I don't know. I think generally these brain stimulation approaches, they, one, one main advantage they have is that um, they, if, if one asks patients uh, that might benefit from these in, in various neuropsychiatric disorders, um, then it has a high acceptance because mm -hmm. it's reversible. Um, uh, it can be, can be reversed. So there isn't too much harm that can be done. I mean, one needs to be a little bit careful with this electrical of stimulation, course. and I, I wouldn't recommend people to go away and, and do this now. But yeah. um, so it has high acceptance, probably more so than than uh, drug approaches, mm -hmm. uh, and that's important. Uh, but but there's a lot of um, research to be done, and it will probably depend on the on the various. Um, uh, so in this in this paper that or the study that you are discussing, uh, the population were were uh, were older people which had already slightly reduced memory function. So it was um, they they were starting at a relatively low baseline. Mm -hmm. So it might um, uh, so it might initially at least uh, mainly be for therapeutic purposes to to reinstate certain functions rather than uh, giving us all a boost. Um, with, with this. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. Um, thank you, uh, Professor Tobias Bass, for, 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 for being with us, for answering our questions um, uh, I, 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 and sharing your insight into this very important topic, uh, an interesting topic as well. Um, we hope you have a wonderful day ahead. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're My welcome. pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. That was Professor Tobias Bast, uh, who's completed his studies of biochemistry and biopsychology in Germany, um, uh, after which he completed his PhD in uh, uh, in behavioral neuroscience at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, Zurich, in 2002. Um, we're going to be going straight to our next guest for the show. We do have with us on the line Professor Michael Thomas, who is uh, director of the University of London Centre for Educational and Neuroscience and is a professor of cognitive neuroscience at uh, Burbeck University of London. His research uh, focuses on building a dialogue between neuroscience and education, which finds from the brain sciences may be useful for teachers. Um, he is co-author of the forthcoming book, Educational Neuroscience, The Basics, um, and his research has been published in high-quality peer-reviewed journals, including Nature, Psychological Review, Developmental uh, Science, and Behavioral and uh, uh, Brain Sciences. He is charter- a chartered uh, psychologist, fo- a fellow of the Br- British Psycholo- Psychological Society, fellow of the U.S. Uh, Association for Psychological Science, um, and senior fellow of the UK Higher Education Academy. Um alaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Yo, uh, th- th- yo, good morning and thank you for for being with us as well. Um, we're talking about this uh, this the topic of um, boosting memory performance, whether or not it's a plausible reality. Um, and the first question that we wanted to ask you in this regard was: What happens during brain stimulation therapy? Uh. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a very uh, new approach mm-hmm. uh, and kind of explorative. So if you can imagine attaching a, a sort of hairnet of tiny electrodes over your head uh, and then someone flicks a switch and you feel a, a sort of very mild tingling sensation on your scalp. So uh, as far as we can tell, completely harmless. Uh, but what that uh, set of electrodes are doing are causing a sort of tiny oscillating current in your brain which is trying to boost or enhance the brain's own electrical oscillations. Uh, and the, the, depending on which the, the frequency of, of the oscillations, uh, we think that, that maybe we're enhancing the brain's own sort of processing uh, and maybe even enhancing um, the brain's plasticity that, that can help you learn while the, while the current is turned on. Uh, I'd say this is cutting-edge technology, we're not completely confident how it works, but uh, papers like uh, uh, the one we've been talking about, uh, boosting memory, are suggesting that, that these tiny currents can have an effect on, on brain function. Thank you very much. So what are some of the ways you can improve memory? Yeah, so uh, I guess what we're looking at with, with the, these, this electrical stimulation is a sort of... Uh, uh, smart technology, smart devices to try and, and enhance your, your memory. Uh, I, there are a range of, of different um, approaches, maybe, you know, smart diets, eating the right kind of stuff, uh, smart mm-hmm. lifestyle, uh, making sure you, you have enough sleep. Uh, and even we think about sometimes like, uh, well, we think about smart pills, but just having a, a, a cup of coffee can, can enhance how we think. Uh, but mainly we, we tend to think uh, in terms of behavioral approaches. That is, just practice 
using your memory. And the more you practice using the memory, the better it will get. I have to say some of the benefits are very specific. So the, the paper we're talking about today focused on memorizing lists of words. And if you practice that a lot, you're going to get better at, at memorizing lists of words. So we don't find very general benefits, but the benefits are, are very specific. But there, there are other things you can do, such as uh, uh, being physically fit, doing exercise, that can enhance brain function. Mm -hmm. um, and we do know, um, as we're understanding more about how memory works, that there are strategies, the, the way you use your memory, that you can um, enhance sort of recall. So you will see memory competitions where, where people are, yeah. are shown a, a deck of shuffle cards and mm -hmm. they have to memorize the order. Uh, and there are strategies you can do to improve your memory where you try and uh, link all the order of the cards to something meaningful uh, in your head. So the brain doesn't like memorizing random things, arbitrary <laughs> things. Uh, it really likes to seek out meaning and connection. Mm. And, and we can use strategies to it to exploit that to, to improve our memory abilities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's something which uh, which I'm sure everyone goes through when uh, right before giving their exams, isn't it? When you're trying yeah. to cram in that last piece of uh, piece of, uh, of knowledge just, uh, into your mind, into your brain, so you can use it in the exam as well. Um, with age, of course, usually we get uh, more forgetful. Um, and our memory uh, d uh, declines as well. So what are some of the ways in which we can uh, ensure or, 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 or uh, improve our memory uh, as we get older as well? I know you mentioned being physically fit um, and you mentioned the strategies of, uh, of enhancing our memory. But overall, um, what can we do um, on top of this as well? Of course, physically f being fit is, uh, is definitely one of them. Um, but are, are there some other ways as well in which we can um, uh, help improve our memory with age? Yeah, so the, the way the brain changes across our adult lifespan is is interesting. If, if, if you look at the like a twenty five year old, yeah, uh, that's like an optimal brain. It's working really fast. Mm -hmm. It's it's learning well. There's lo lots of uh, information in there available to be quickly recalled. Um, and as we get older, uh, two things happen. So the speed of our brain processing and that accuracy begins to decline and, and that can impact on, on our ability to uh, retrieve bits of information uh, particularly uh, names I don't know uh, uh, sometimes uh, particularly I find this with jet lag if you just got off an airplane you mm -hmm. can't remember anyone's name anymore mm -hmm. uh, and these are sort of dynamic online processing properties but the the older we get we also gain in you might think about sort of crystallized acquired knowledge or, or, or wisdom. So we know more stuff. We know how things work. We can spot patterns. So really to, to, uh, uh, to get the best out of yourself as you get older, uh, you need to exploit your wisdom, exploit you know, your experience in how things work and the best way to do things. And then when it comes to these areas where you've got to find a word in the moment, uh, there's no easy way around that other than, than practicing your, your memory abilities, doing things like crosswords and Sudoku mm. and uh, looking at lifestyle factors. And one of the, the areas of focus these days, particularly in um, 
older populations is the importance of, of social engagement, mm-hmm. of, of keeping the, uh, the brain engaged in a social context. Uh, and and that, that is one of the, the big risks for mental decline is being isolated and, and not spending time with, with friends and, and family. Mm-hmm. And does uh, diet uh, have a have a part to play in this as well? I know, especially in the the subcontinent, we we're, we're told to eat um, almonds, uh, and that is uh, supposed to to, uh, to 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 make your memory better. Um, I'm not sure if there's any uh, reality behind this. So, if could, could you sh- shed some light on that? So, I I think if if your diet is deficient in in any particular vitamins and, and nutrients, it, it can impact on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you don't have a good breakfast yeah. and you find yourself getting snackish mid morning, that might uh, slightly dull your your thinking abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I know there's there there are ideas about uh, uh, fish oil, for example, yeah. being being helpful for for brain function. But broadly, so long as you, you have a, a, a balanced diet and, and you're not deficient in, in any uh, vitamins or nutrients, you, you should be fine. I'm, I'm not sure that there's strong evidence that any particular food group can, can sort of super enhance your memory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I've heard this myth, or I don't know if it's a myth or a fact, that memory is limitless. Long-term memory, your brain remembers everything. So how, how true is that? How much can your brain actually remember? Is there a limit? Yeah, so I think we, we have to think about different types of memory. So uh, sometimes we think about the, the amount of information you can keep in mind. Like a, like someone tells you a telephone number and you have to keep it in mind before you dial it in or write it down. That sort of keeping in mind memory is definitely not limitless. Uh, I think, you know, as soon as that telephone number gets too long to remember, uh, it's out of your head. You can't remember it. Then we can think about there's a type of memory called like uh, technically called episodic memory or autobiographical memory. That's like memory for what happened yesterday or last week. And we know there's a particular part of, of the brain that stores that called the hippocampus. Uh, and that, that definitely has a capacity. That fills up about every three months with all the moments. It's probably storing an experience that mm. you've had about once every 20 seconds. And after yeah. three months, it, it fills up. And, and then what the brain has to do is to uh, sort of transfer that knowledge um, out of, of your episodic memory and store it in long-term memory somewhere else in the brain. Uh, and we know that, that when it does that, quite often that transfer is happening while you're asleep, uh, that the brain is just extracting the main themes out of those, those experiences. So it's not storing all the detail. Uh, and in, in terms of, of your long-term memory, how much information can you store? Well, it's a lot, uh, but you can store even more if it's organized into patterns. So mm-hmm. we do know that, that uh, unless you have uh, a cognitive decline in, in later years, and unless you have Alzheimer's disease, we know that the brain is, is plastic, can still learn throughout the lifespan. So, so in that sense, you can always learn new stuff. Uh, but if there's knowledge and skills you're not using, it does get rusty. There's a little bit about you, you need to be using knowledge and skills uh, mm-hmm. in order to, to not forget them. So, yes, a very impressive capacity in the brain compared to your desktop computer, mm-hmm. uh, but, but not completely limitless.
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, just lastly there, um, how does memory affect one's behavior as well? Does it have, a, have an impact um, on, on our behavior? Yeah, I guess if, if you didn't have a memory, it, it would be like one of those science fiction films where, where you keep waking up and, and uh, you don't remember who you are and you don't remember how to do anything and, and the world in front of you is completely new. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because we have memories, we, we recognize where we are and we know what we're supposed to do. So in that, in that sense, memory is crucial for, for using our, our previous knowledge to know how to behave in, in new situations. You know. Even things like tying our shoelaces, that, that, that's involving memory about that, that particular um, procedural skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess, again, as we get older, we accumulate more memories of, of situations and uh, uh, what to do in different situations. So um, if, you've, if you've seen any Hollywood films, it's a, a, a frequent... Uh, line that the, that the hero says, I've, I've got a bad feeling about this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's really part of the, the brain is doing that as, as a whole memory of situations and when good things happened and when bad things happened. And that, that's the, the action of memory. They're giving you clues and hints that, that you need to be aware in certain situations or, or take advantage of certain situations. Uh, and, and that's all experience. It's, it's improving your uh, ability to succeed in situations based on your memories. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, thank you, uh, Professor Michael Thomas, for, for, for being with us, for answering our questions uh, and sharing your insight into this, uh, this, uh, this very fascinating topic. Um, thank you once again, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead as well. It's been a pleasure, and thanks very much for inviting me on. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That was Professor Michael Thomas, uh, who's the director of the University of London Centre for Educational Neuroscience and a professor of cognitive neuroscience at Birkbeck University of London as well. His research focuses on building a dialogue between neuroscience and education. And we're going to be going straight to our last guest for the show. We do have with us on the line Dr. Natasha Sigala, uh, who is a cognitive neuroscientist at the Brighton and Sussex uh, Sussex Medical uh, Medical School. At the University of Sussex. Uh, she is interested uh, in memory function across the lifespan, particularly in middle and older age. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Good morning and thank you for being with us. Um, Dr. Sigala, how does one's memory develop uh, across their lifespan? Yeah, so memory is quite a dynamic process. So, as we know from personal experience, our ability to remember events in our life is not very good until about the age of three or four, although we do remember facts and we acquire skills during that time. Mm-hmm. So the neurological processes needed to form this kind of autobiographical memory is not fully developed early on. That also correlates with the development of language, which allows children to share and discuss their past with others, and that allows us to organize memories in a personal autobiography. From then on, memory improves until our 20s, and then it remains more or less stable until middle age, until our 50s, after which it slowly starts deteriorating. So... Um, yeah, it's it's a process that keeps improving until about our 20s and starts deteriorating 
after our taking. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, just another question: what what's uh, what causes this decline in old age? Is it is it because you stop using your brain, or what's what's the cause of this decline? It's it's mostly what you could call hardware issues. So, the brain cells, the neurons that contain the information and process it, start dying. Um, myelin, which is a fatty substance that insulates the neurons and protects. The signals that are transmitted between neurons also start deteriorating. Uh, there are also other health factors in older age that affect how we can form memories. For example, we have poorer vision, poorer hearing and smell. And that means we can't mm -hmm. encode the information in the first place to create stronger memories. Um, another factor in older age might be that um, we're not as good at keeping our sugar levels as study as they are when we're younger and that also seems to affect our ability to remember things mm -hmm. but it's not all bad um, although there is more effort in forming new memories or retrieving information that we have stored in the brain uh, we are better in older age at finding associations and connections between facts and events so that's perhaps something you can see in people who are not young anymore, some kind of wisdom emerging. Uh, and also we become better storytellers because we are able to connect and associate facts and mm -hmm. events better. Mm -hmm. And what is the difference um, uh, between uh, short-term memory and long-term memory for the benefit of our listeners, please? Yeah, that's, that's a good question because it brings forward the issue of fact that we have multiple memory systems. Memory is not just one thing. We have multiple memory systems that serve different functions and rely on different parts of the brain. And we need these parts of the brain to be healthy and also to be able to communicate well with each other to have good memory. So short-term memory, as the name indicates, um, can maintain a limited amount of information for a short period of time. And that's absolutely crucial because unless we can commit some information in short-term memory, we will never be able to remember it in the long term. So short-term memory sort of filters all the information that is around us. And if we pay attention to certain things, we will put them in our short-term memory. It's a gatekeeper of long-term memory. And then in long-term memory, we have changes in the way the brain is organized and the way the neurons communicate with each other. So we have what's called plasticity uh, because the brain is malleable. It can change and create a record of things for facts, events and procedures. So in long-term memory, we store information um, like Paris is a capital of France, that's a fact or in terms of events, important birthdays or first day at school and so on. And then procedures um, like riding a bike or playing the violin. So all these different systems work together, need to work well together and communicate well together for our memory to work properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, lastly, again, to our main topic about boosting memory, Uh, can you explain what, what, mm -hmm. what the um, role of brain stimulation has in boosting memory and how that can be achieved? Yes, so that's a way of enhancing 
the communication between neurons, the brain cells, by injecting small amounts of current in specific brain areas and also specific frequencies or rhythms that these brain, brain areas use to communicate. And injecting these small amounts of current strengthens the formation and consolidation of the information so it can be retrieved later, remembered. Um, and the strengthening of this communication is both at the local level in one brain region, but also in the way that area then communicates information with other parts of the brain uh, so that the different memory systems can communicate and coordinate information processing. So this is still, of course, in experimental stages. It can only happen in the lab. Um, Usually only healthy participants are involved without any neurological or psychiatric conditions. Um, but it's very promising, the fact that it works in, in these small samples. So hopefully with a lot more work, we will be able to see if it can help in the general population and with actual clinical issues of memory loss. Yeah, yeah. Um Unfortunately, that's uh, all we have uh, time for today, but we would love to get your, your insight into similar topics uh, on this in the future as well. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Natasha Segala, for, for, for being with us and answering our questions as well. And with that, we're coming to an end for the show. Here is the 9 o'clock news.